This is Your Working Life, a show that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Dr. Ella Washington to the show. Dr. Washington will talk about the need and the opportunity for more impactful equity and inclusion measures in companies around the show. Dr. Washington, welcome. I am delighted that you are with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It is my great pleasure to be here. Thank you. And Ella, I'm really excited. We're going to dive into a very meaningful conversation, but I I want to set the stage. George, George Floyd's murder in the summer of 2020 really shined a spotlight on the need for more diversity measures in companies across the U.S. and and frankly around the world. And at that time, there was an extreme lack of transparency about diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations. And, And here we are, end of 2022, ready to start 2023, and we're trying to move the needle, but we're slow to make progress. So I, I want to start there and ask you, um, why do you feel that it's important that we take this necessary journey, honoring your book, making real progress on equity and inclusion? You know, what happened in 2020, unfortunately, was not the first time any of those events had happened. It was not the first time we saw a man murdered, especially a black man murdered at the hands of the police. It was not the first time that people were protesting for social justice. It was not the first time um, that organizations had been speaking out, right? Now, what we did see for the first time is the level and the magnitude of the way that organizations are speaking out for social justice. Many of them kind of stepped into the light as far as really owning their values out loud and being willing to take a stand. Um, And for me, someone who I identify as a Black cisgender woman, I had also been in this career field my whole career. So I have seen, you know, over a decade of diversity and inclusion trends, and I'm very well aware of the trends of DEI for the past 40 years. Many people thought that 2020 was the beginning of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I kind of laughed because it it wasn't, right? You know, diversity, equity, and inclusion has been around as long as we can, you know, go back. It started as a, a, you know, byproduct of the civil rights movement, as affirmative action movements um, in corporate spaces, but it became an actual field in the late 1980s and it started as diversity management. So all of that within context, you know, it was not a new thing, but people were acting as if it was a new thing. And so I was worried because I wondered, I wondered where we would be today, like in this moment, two or three years later, five or 10 years later, what would have really changed? And so that's why it was critically important for me to bring forward the fact that we are on this necessary journey and we have to be very intentional if we want to see real progress. And and those promises made by so many companies um, in 2020, that was a first step towards intention. But I knew there had to be so much more work done after in order to really see change down the line. 
Thank you for being so candid and frank. You're absolutely right. I mean, this has been going on for generations and, and 2020 shined a different spotlight on it, but you're right. It, it is not new. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for saying that so clearly and, and emphatically. What about COVID? Because COVID just knocked the world uh, upside down. And did you see that impact equity and inclusion in organizations in your research and experience? Well, we're talking about the same year, right? Yeah. And so I think that is really the fascinating uh, perspective of it all from a psychologist and a researcher perspective is that when you study social movements, right, there's often a perfect storm of things that happen to create the environment where change is inevitable. Change must happen. Something explodes. Like there, there is a push towards we can't go on as we have been. And you know, for better or for worse, I don't think the racial reckoning of the summer of 2020 would have happened without what we had been through as a world, as a society, all leading up to that summer from, you know, February, March 2020 until June, right? Um, and so COVID itself set the stage for us rethinking our entire lives. <laughs> like yeah. we have all had to rethink how we work, where we live? Do we want to keep living there? Do we want to live somewhere else? Uh, how we connect with community? What's important to us? How we want to spend our time? What's not as important to us, right? And so we were in a space as a society of rethinking and really questioning. And, and there was so much uncertainty that the racial reckoning kind of layered onto that. People were paying attention in a way that they had not previously. And, you know, many scholars think that if we hadn't all been stuck at home watching our TVs and have nothing else to do um, but be inside and be glued to television, we may not even have paid as much attention to the murder of George Floyd, which is an, an unfortunate reality, but it is something to ponder on, right? And so, you know, when we think about COVID-19, it has certainly changed the way we see work. Right at the end, I wouldn't say clearly we're not out of the pandemic, but at the end of 2020, even mid-2021, as many companies were trying to determine if they were going to come back to work, hybrid, flexible, what are we going to do? Uh, we saw this thing that we're now terming the great resignation, right? And so you saw many employees looking at the companies they've been working for for however long, but certainly through the midst of 2020 and saying, uh-uh, I don't want to go back. Yeah, uh, This is not what I want, right? And I truly do believe that the COVID-19 had the biggest impact on what we are still seeing as the great resignation. We are still seeing a larger uptick than we have in past years of people leaving not only their jobs, but also their whole industries. I mean, people are choosing totally different ways of working and being and, and experiencing life. And I certainly believe that COVID-19 had a large impact on that. So I want to level set a bit. So talked about George Floyd, talked about COVID and how it, it's just given us a, a renewed sensibility about how we pursue our individual world of work. But would you define for me what an equitable and an inclusive workplace looks like? What you know, What's the goal? What are we working toward? And I so appreciate that it's a journey. Absolutely. So you know, from a conceptual perspective, we are working towards environments where people can 
be seen and valued, uh, not in spite of their background, but including and embracing and celebrating their demographic, but also uh, other differences. We want to celebrate diversity. We want to welcome it in all respects. When we think about inclusion, we want to have work environments where people not only, uh, you know, there are things that they are done to include them, uh, I think of inclusion as a verb. You have to do something to include someone else. But this, the second part of that in, inclusion definition is there has to be a feedback loop. There has to be that feeling of what you did to include me actually worked. I actually feel more included. So organizations have to have that feedback loop um, around inclusion. In equity, there has to be equal opportunities to succeed for every single person within the organization. And this does not just stop at visible opportunities and visible policies. We also have to be really honest about those invisible um, you know, opportunities or those informal policies that happen and how we get things done. So you think about those things, that would be the picture of an ideal organization that we are hitting the mark on all three of these things in a very intentional way. Um, but there still won't be a perfect workplace because I don't think there is a perfect workplace. But we can have workplaces that meet the needs that we have as humans, as well as meet the needs of that particular business. And so that's what I hope that we're working towards in our society. Ella, we'll be right back after a quick break. Hello there, it's Caroline Dowd Higgins. I know that hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who can customize content to meet your goals and someone who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Meeting planners around the world have recognized me for being easy to work with and uniquely suited to create dynamic programming for your needs. My style is high energy and engaging with practical takeaways that participants can implement in their lives and careers immediately. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create healthy workplace cultures, or prevent burnout in your organization, I create customized content to help recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. From the boardroom to the training room or the convention hall, I will help your audience thrive. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Ella, I want to read a quote from your book uh, because I think it sets up the next part of our conversation. You wrote, DEI includes programs, yes, but it also requires making cultural changes finding new ways to influence people, making difficult decisions, and more. You don't deploy a program and call it a day. I mean, that hit me so intently because as an executive coach, I work with organizations and I I don't mean to be unkind, but so many organizations have information on the website and they think that's enough, or they have one program and they think we've checked the box. It's not working. So tell me more. You know, programs are a fantastic part of a DEI strategy, of a human capital approach. So it is not to say that programs are not, you know, worth their weight. However, programs are not a strategy. 
And I think that is where many companies have missed the mark. They think we have these great cultural celebrations. We celebrate Women's History Month and Black History Month and Pride Month. We have these programs or we have this training. And so that is our DEI strategy. And a DEI strategy, just like any organizational strategy, means we have to be strategic. We have to be thinking about our goals as a business. What are our goals in this particular effort? How are we going to measure and track those goals? And how and who's going to own it? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable? That's a strategy. And so where I, I often see organizations approach DEI in a very different way than they do other strategies, they think it's a check the box. They think it's a let's have the best program. And I don't mean that they are Uh, careless or they don't care about the importance of DEI, but they're just not seeing it from the vantage point that I think is critical for success, which you noted uh, from the quote in my book. So I want to I want to pick at that a little more because I think it's so important for all of us to learn from you. You write about we've got to measure progress, and and of course you've had this extraordinary career. But earlier on, you worked at Gallup uh, as a D and I subject matter expert, and you provided these incredible insights to clients. In the book, you really chronicle experiences, the journey of several companies. So would you please pick one of the organizations that you um, that you shared about and perhaps how they measure success? Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the, the book has nine different companies, each at a very different place on their DEI journey, which was the, the excitement point for me. I really wanted to put forth a, a book where anybody from any type of company could see themselves in at least one and hopefully more of the stories in my book. Um, and narrative is such a powerful learning tool. tool. We know that you know the brain registers and remembers more information from a story told, from the emotions heard or felt or read in this case, than just giving data and figures. As a researcher, I love data and figures, but what I remember at the end of a talk is that story that brings it all together, that elevates the humanity in the conversation. And so um, in thinking about companies that have really worked hard to overcome challenge or to just make sure they're making progress on their DI strategy, you know, Denny's is one of the companies that I highly admire. Um, and I admire them because they really started off in a terrible, terrible place. Uh, they had a huge class action racial discrimination lawsuit in the 1990s. Um, and not only did they have to pay, I think it was $54 million, which was one of the highest amounts at the time, um, but their reputation was was just really obliterated in the United States specifically. Um, I remember growing up in Durham, North Carolina, and Denny's is a, a South Carolina headquartered organization. And even to this day, people remember that visceral feeling of, uh, I don't know if we should go to Denny's, you know, because Denny's is racist. And it was a thing. I opened up the chapter talking about a, a spoof from a late night talk show host talking about this. And, and so it was, it was kind of a known thing, which is so unfortunate. But Going from where they were in the 1990s to where they are 30 years later, it is like night and day. But what I really admire about it, it didn't happen overnight. So I want to be really clear. They have spent the past 30 years 
being super intentional at every single level of the organization, I'm not only owning the things that they did wrong or that the the ways their organizational culture was were not supportive of an inclusive environment back then, but they've made significant strides to make sure not only that those things don't happen again, but they're creating a work environment that everyone can thrive and that they're taking ownership of what their workplace looks like in the future. And so they've done things like have annual reports, they have... Um, mechanisms for reporting discrimination within the organization. They have mandatory training for all uh, new employees, um, but they also have accountability at every level of leadership. They have metrics of accountability on diversity demographics, but also uh, not just internally, but also looking at their franchisees, which is um, connects to their community impact. I mean, they really have been thoughtful about their entire sphere of influence. And in the book, I talk about the importance of going beyond just internal uh, DEI efforts, those are great and much needed, but for an organization to really get further on that maturity curve to steps four or five of their journey, they really must be intentional around their whole sphere of influence. So all of that to say, I think Denny's is a wonderful example of a company that's been through the worst of it, but also has really intentionally and strategically used the last 30 years to make a significant change. And I just like to highlight, it, it has taken 30 years, right? This is not something that will happen overnight, which is one of the hardest things uh, for, for many leaders to really wrap their minds around. Thank you for that. And and thus the title of your book, The Necessary Journey, because it isn't just flipping a switch. So as you said, cheers to Denny's for putting in the work and um, being accountable for it. Ella, I want to pivot a little bit because I know so many of our listeners around the world are changing careers. And I would like for you to help them understand, what do I ask in the interview process? How do I really get beyond what's on the website to learn? Does this organization honor diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging? How do I, how do I really get at that and, and find out? How do I find out doing my own due diligence? Oh, I love this question. And I encourage every single one of my students and every single person listening uh, to, to ask these things. So read the website. Great. That's a starting point for the conversation. You know, ask what they have done intentionally um, during and since 2020 to bolster diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they'll probably tell you they made a pledge or they have a report. Um, but I would dig a little bit deeper. How did you support your employees during the COVID-19 pandemic? That tells you how intentional they were being at the beginning, right? You know, really from the set of having the employees in the forefront. But ask them what they've done in general um, around DEI. And then follow up with who is in charge, who is accountable for their DEI strategy. Now, maybe they have a chief diversity officer, and that's great if they say, oh, I have a chief diversity officer and that person is responsible. Dig a layer deeper and ask, well, how is everyone in the organization accountable or how are managers specifically uh, held accountable for these DEI efforts? They should be able to answer those questions. DEI does not just sit in the wheelhouse of human resources or a chief diversity officer. DEI is every single person's responsibility. When we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion as the willingness and ability to help everyone thrive within the workplace, it's very clear it can't just be one person or one department's responsibility. We all have to have responsibility as cultural carriers in organizations. And so you want to know, how is that you know diffused throughout the organization? So those are some questions that, that I would ask. And then I would say, you know, what does the future look like in this organization? What is the future culture? 
of this organization? Where are we going? And why that's important is because our workplace is changing so much. We'll continue to have different dynamics at the workplace, whether it be flexible work, hybrid work, whether it be Gen Z entering the workplace, you know, with great fever, we are always evolving and changing, which is why in my book, I'm really clear that the journey never ends. It's all about evolution. And so you want to ask, you know, the people that you are being interviewed by, what does the evolution look like in this company, not only from a business standpoint, but also from a human capital standpoint? Ella, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's so important. And I think anybody listening who's considering another organization to work in, those questions are are really important. And thank you for the term cultural carriers. That's beautiful. And it really puts us all into the equation. It gives us agency to really be part of that because culture just can't be mandated top down. It cannot. It, it must be top down and bottom up. And it's one of the, the pivotal pieces in my book that I want people to take away that DEI and and culture more broadly is everyone's responsibility. Yeah. So in in line with that, how do we keep bias and inequity and inclusion efforts front and center? You know, what can we all do in our respective organizations to to honor that and be cultural carriers? You know, I think you you have to ask questions. You get get curious about what your company's DEI strategy is and how you can get involved. Uh, The number one challenge that I hear from organizations that they don't have enough resources and specifically it being time and personnel to carry forth everything they want to do, right? And so while it certainly is on the organization to have a strategy, I do think us as individual culture carriers can get involved and get curious about how we can play a role. And that doesn't mean that you have to join an ERG group if that's not your thing. That doesn't mean you have to host a cultural celebration like Women's History Month or Black History Month, if that's not your thing, if it is, great. But you can also make sure that you are carrying forth the strategy on an everyday basis. If we are trying to elevate divergent thinking, in our teams. Okay, that's something I can do. I can make sure to make sure that there's a devil's advocate in every conversation, or maybe that's the role I play. And I say, hey, I'm putting on my my devil's advocate hat. Let's think about this, right? There are things you can do big and small every single day to help with those larger picture missions. I mean, most times people think of DI as this big omnibus thing that, you know, we we have to do in the big moments and the hard conversations. And DEI is that, absolutely. But it's also those everyday moments, making sure that you're connecting with a colleague and saying, hey, you know, I know you've been having a rough time. Just want to check in. How you doing? Like that is part of being a cultural carrier as well. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm learning so much from you and I'm deeply grateful. So Ella, as we wrap, what's the best career advice you've ever gotten? The best career advice goes back to one of my favorite quotes from Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. Mm. And I love that quote because it's about authenticity. Um, It's about knowing yourself. And I think with that, the spirit of that, you know, owning my strengths and managing my weaknesses would be probably the best career advice because that's it's connected to knowing yourself because you got to know yourself to know your strengths but you also got to be honest with yourself understand your weaknesses and know how to manage them so you don't get in the way of your success and you know that those are pieces of advice that I try to infiltrate in all parts of my life but especially my career Dr. Ella Washington, thank you. I learned so much from you and I'm deeply grateful to have you on the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. It has been wonderful. I am so glad, and I want to tell our global audience about your incredible new book. It's called The Necessary Journey, Making Real Progress on Equity and Inclusion. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And your working life is now available on all major podcast platforms. And I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing and what career themes you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins or check out my website at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And I want to give a special shout out to my extraordinary Your Working Life colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.